We start up the big information machine once again here on the Rural Radio Network and uh, get ready to bring you another edition of Midday on the RRN. Off and running, I'm Dirk Christensen. It's the roundtable where we give you a clue, a little preview of what you will be expecting. And we have Susan Littlefield, who is uh, back out of an emotional roller coaster for Susan yesterday. <laughs> Oh, yeah. A little sickness, so my soldier can't leave till the beginning of August. So that gives me more time with him over oh, the summer. I, I didn't realize that that had happened. So you, so he's still yeah. back in the fold, huh? He's still back in the fold till August 6th. He will head off to camp. So, right. yeah, he ended up with a low-grade fever yesterday that caught everybody by surprise. So he has to, he has to sit out for a few weeks. All right. He'll be back at it and... Better than ever. So the graduate will have a little bit of time before he has to hit basic, and we thank him for the decision that he's made. Yeah, and it's funny because the master sergeant gave him orders to be lazy this summer. <laughs> well, that's the last who's time that's going to happen, I assure you. Exactly. Who's to argue? Exactly. All right, Susan, bring us up to date on what the ag team is working today. Well, Shelly Peters is working on a NAS survey. We'll have more from her at 1217. That, of course, the National Ag Statistics Service. They've got, always had surveys in the work. Jumping into 1245, Mark Goes will join Alex. They talk about Southeast Community College Ag Instructor, talking about the delayed cool season forage growth, and also provide you some tips on pastures when they'll be ready to graze. And then I will join you at 117 as Kansas Net Farm Income Survey was done by K-State. And good news, it's better than what they thought it was going to be. That is great news. Yeah. All right. That's great news. Thanks very much. And we'll let you guys get back to work. Jason Jorgensen is sitting here on sports. LeBron James just tore it up, huh? He did. So do the rest of his teammates, as that series is now tied at two games apiece. The other series continues on tonight as the uh, Golden State Warriors look to take a commanding 3-1 lead over the Houston Rockets in the Western Conference Finals. Also some Husker football stuff to talk about. Last night, athletic director uh, Bill Moose, he was on the uh, Husker Sports Network and asked about the, the situation involving Nebraska and their final regular season game. Would they move back to Friday or play on Saturday? And he announced that the Huskers will be playing on the uh, day after Thanksgiving. So good for him getting that done. A couple years there, they'll play Minnesota. Then it will move back to playing Iowa. And he says we'll stay that way for the foreseeable future. So there's a guy who's done some good things since he's been there after the major misstep by former athletic director Sean Eichhorst when it came to that decision. Also, we'll talk about the state golf tournaments going on uh, four locations across the state. Kids won't know what to do playing without a jacket and <laughs> a stocking hat, which is the way they operated for most of the spring. They might be sweating a little bit the next two days. My stroke is all off when I'm not wearing my parka anymore. Exactly. Okay, Jason, thanks very much. And Bob Broken, how's business? Work? Stocks are a little bit higher, and uh, so we're watching that situation. Also, uh, I guess J.C. Penney's loss is Lowe's gain. The uh, J.C. Penney CEO is going to Lowe's. And in other news, the EU isn't hopeful on tariffs. One other note, Congress is uh, near the dismantling of post-crisis bank rules. So those are stories we're watching. All right. Thanks very much, Bob. Thanks, everybody. Stay tuned. This is Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Today's warm-up, the start of a solid warm-up that's expected to last through the rest of the month and potentially into early next month. Low pressure to our west. 
lifting a warm front to the north today. Scattered thunderstorms possible late in the day into tonight, mainly towards the west and north right near that front. Summertime weather with temperatures about 10 to 15 degrees warmer than normal will continue through the holiday weekend. That warm weather this week due to a southwest flow off low pressure as it lifts north through the Rockies. Just a few thunderstorms are possible as some disturbances track east off the low. A few stronger severe storms are possible, but overall chances for severe weather not high. The weekend will be warm and mostly dry as a ridge of high pressure moves onto the plains. A few thunderstorms possible by Sunday night as an area of low pressure moves into the southern Rockies. In the long-term forecast, the likelihood remains high for warmer than normal temperatures in Nebraska, Kansas, and nearly all of the U.S. Sunday through the first four days of June. For rainfall, the outlook expects near normal to slightly below normal rainfall in Nebraska and Kansas Sunday through June 4th. The soil temperature is 4 inches down at 7 this morning, as cool as the low 50s in the panhandle. Otherwise, the soil temperatures in the upper 50s to the low 60s, some mid-60s for soil temperatures found over far southern Kansas. Weather factors affecting market trade include widely varying amounts of rain in the forecast for the Midwest and drought damage confirmed in Brazil. Northwestern areas in the Midwest still in line for moderate to heavy rain, which will bring some delays in later stage planning. A large part of the southwest and central Midwest with a rainfall deficit right now and the beginning stages of drought. That part of the Midwest has only light rain expected the rest of the month. Winter wheat conditions in the southern plains continue to be the lowest in the past four years. Very little follow-up rain is expected after some beneficial heavy amounts of rain in parts of the southern plains this past weekend. Drought damage to Brazil's second corn crop is increasing. Private crop estimates now place the second corn crop this year at about 20% below production from last year. The total Brazil corn crop estimated to be close to 30% below the 2017 total harvest. Dry weather remains in the Brazil forecast through the rest of the week. I'm Paul Perkins at the check every ag weather. Department of Agriculture Director Steve Wellman is currently attending his first international trade mission as NDA Director. I'm Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network as we take a look at Midday Ag News. Wellman is part of a U.S. Department of Agriculture trade mission to southern China happening now through the 25th. The trade mission led by USDA Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Agricultural Affairs Ted McKinney includes government ag leaders and representatives from many agribusiness companies and organizations Southern China is a major import hub and growing a growing market for U.S. agricultural products, said NDA Director Wellman. Like Nebraska-led trade missions, USDA trade missions open doors and deliver results for farmers, ranchers, and agribusinesses. Consumers around the world want to know more about their food, and Nebraska agriculture said Wellman. This trade mission is an excellent chance to interact with consumers and agribusiness leaders in southern China, show them the quality ag products that the state has to offer, and learn firsthand about potential opportunities and strategies for boosting Nebraska's ag exports to that region. During this trade mission, the USDA will host several events to promote U.S. agricultural products. During the scheduled business meetings, there will be opportunities for the group to discuss demand and learn more about Chinese inspection procedures and processes. And the late spring pushed back pasture growth, requiring livestock producers to pay close attention to when their grasses are ready to graze. Alex Wojcicki has more. Southeast Community College Ag Instructor Mark Goes discussed the negative impacts the delayed spring had on cool season grass growth. He provided management tips for determining when pasture grass is ready to graze. And as you drive down the road and look out, it's greening up. That's not enough. And you really need to get out into the forage and you need to look down. 
And if you want to get specific and detailed about it, the best advice on the cool season grasses is to look for a three-leaf stage. The grass will have three fully formed leaves with a full collar around the stem. And those three leaves will then tell you that the plant has grown enough that it can catch enough energy to sustain back into its root reserves. And you're allowed then to, to take some of that forage off, remembering that you need to provide some rest for it after that. As you get into the warm season grasses, we really like to refer more to a four-leaf stage before we turn the animals out on it. Goes also explained the consequences of turning grazing animals out before the grass is ready. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Alex Wojcicki. And Deer and Company is raising equipment prices in order to protect profits as costs rise. The farm and construction machinery manufacturer says profits were up 50% and equipment sales were up 34% annually in its latest quarter. However, a Dow Jones report says those numbers disappointed analysts. Deer's share rose nearly 6% as investors are focusing on Deer's strong outlook for sales growth this year. Rising expenses in recent quarters have weighed down Deer's performance even as machinery demand picks up. Deer joined a number of U.S. manufacturers in reporting rising costs as a growing U.S. economy drives up the prices for materials and shipping. Deer says it will raise prices because of both higher production costs as well as increasing transportation costs as it begins to take orders on 2019 models. And finally, more of America's grocery carts were filled with organic products in 2017. The Organic Trade Association's 2018 industry survey shows consumers were buying everything from organic produce and organic ice cream to organic fresh juices and organic dried beans. U.S. organic sales totaled a new record of $49.4 billion in 2017, up 6.4% from the previous year. That total also reflects new sales of nearly $3.5 billion. That's a quick look to your midday ag news. For more information anytime, you can always visit RuralRadio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. The USDA is looking for crop stocks, inventories, and values. I'm Shaylee Peters, joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. And our guest today, Dean Grosskirth, he's the USDA NAS Northern Plains Regional Field Office Director. Dean, over the next few weeks, you guys will start to conduct two major inquiries and be contacting nearly 4,300 producers across the state of Nebraska. You'll look at crop acreage, stock levels as of June 1st. So go into a little more detail on what exactly the point of this survey is. Okay, yeah, we are going to be going out and contacting producers across the state to to determine their acreage uh, levels that they are planting and the grain stocks that they have on hand. Um, Earlier in March, we did a perspective planning report of what they thought they were going to produce. Now we're actually going to find out in this upcoming survey what they actually did plant in the ground. So give us a little more information then about what exactly the questions will be like on the survey. What sort of information exactly you're seeking? So we will be asking the farmers and ranchers that we contact on this survey, you know, how much they planted and what they intend to harvest for all the crops in Nebraska. And then we'll also be talking to them about how much grain on June 1 they have stored on their farms. Now, Dean, we hear about these surveys every year, and producers really like and a lot of people utilize the information that comes from them. But maybe talk more about why they're important and why it's important for producers to actively and accurately participate in them. Great question. So we are, we are the unbiased measure of the supply of agriculture. We are not ADM, we are not Bungie, and we aren't Cargill. We provide an unbiased data 
that measures the supply of agriculture for all, for the whole United States. The whole infrastructure of agriculture depends on these data. Really, I don't care if it's bullish or bearish. I just want it to be accurate and let supply and demand work. So then is this information just used for the state of Nebraska here, or is it also used on a nationwide scale as well? Yeah, um, both. These data will be processed locally, and then we send it to Washington, D.C. after we get the data collected and cleaned up and sent to Washington, D.C. And then on June 29th, we'll be publishing the acreage for Nebraska and the stocks. And again, 4,300 producers participating in the survey. Are these producers already in place, or are you guys actively looking for producers? Yeah, our, our producers are, have already been selected, and they've been notified that they are selected. Um, so I encourage all selected farmers to respond to this survey and let the, your voices be heard. I, w- I would like to remind everybody that the data is only as accurate as what we get directly from the farmer. So please fill out your survey when contacted to make a accurate report for everybody to use. The whole infrastructure of agriculture depends on these data. Okay, thanks so much for your time today. It's Dean Grosskirth. He's USDA NAS Northern Plains Regional Field Office Director talking to us about an upcoming survey that'll look at crop stocks, inventories, and value. And again, NAS will publish the results in a series of USDA reports, including the acreage and grain stocks report on June 29th here in 2018. These and all NAS reports can be found as well at www.nas.usda.gov forward slash publications. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check in on Sports Now with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, Nebraska fans will be happy to know that Nebraska will keep playing on the day after Thanksgiving. Athletic Director Bill Moose confirmed that Nebraska and Minnesota will play their end of the regular season games in 2020 and 2021 on Black Friday. Moose also said during an appearance on the Husker Sports Network last night that the Nebraska-Iowa game will return to being played the day after Thanksgiving starting in 2022, and he feels it would be good if that rivalry would continue to grow. I know there's a bit of one now, but that needs to be our rivalry. We're easy enough for our fans to to go to each place and and uh, uh, once we came to the Big Ten we didn't we didn't have a, a traditional rival so uh, that's in that's going to be in the works that that uh, that will be scheduled long after I'm gone and and I mean on the face of the earth and you started playing regularly on the day after Thanksgiving in 1990. Former athletic director Sean Eichhorst had been indifferent to the idea of the Huskers finishing up the regular season on that day. The NSAA Boys State High School golf tournaments are underway at four different locations across the state. Norfolk is hosting Class A. Quail Run in Columbus is a side of Class B. Carney Country Club is hosting Class C. And the Class D event is going on at Lake Maloney at North Platte. A two-day tournament wraps up tomorrow. Senior Scott Schreiber is one of 25 semifinalists for the 41st Golden Spike Award. Schreiber, who started all 52 games for the Huskers, was drafted in the 26th round by the Tampa Bay Rays last year, but decided to return to Nebraska for his senior season and had a big year. 
He hit 369 with team highs and home runs, hits, runs scored, and total bases, while also tallying 48 RBIs. He led the Big Ten Conference in runs scored while ranking second in hits, home runs, and total bases. To the NBA, the Houston Rockets will try to bounce back tonight from the most lopsided loss in their postseason history. That's when they lost by 41 points to Golden State. That victory gave the Warriors a 2-1 lead to the NBA's Western Conference Finals. Warriors coach Steve Kerr knows his team has showed a tendency to lose focus when there's not a whole lot on the line. He's looking for them to play better tonight. Also, there has been only one Western Conference playoff game this month decided by fewer than eight points. And there hadn't been a single playoff game in either conference decided by single digits since May 9th until last night's nine-point win by the Cavaliers over the Celtics. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Some clouds in the forecast tonight in Nebraska. Also a slight chance of thunderstorms through the night in western and northern Nebraska. I'm Dave Schroeder. The Gosper County Sheriff's Office is investigating a fatality accident that occurred around 9.22 this morning, about three miles east of Elwood on a curve of Highway 23. Sheriff Dennis Oaken. Upon arrival, observed a fuel truck down the ditch on the north side of Highway 23 and a pickup uh, with extensive front-end damage uh, in the lane of traffic. The driver of the pickup was pronounced at the scene. The extent of any injuries to the driver of the fuel truck was not immediately available. The vehicles were traveling in opposite directions and collided head-on. Agencies assisting at the scene included Dawson County Sheriff's Office, Nebraska State Patrol, Elwood Volunteer Fire Department, Nebraska Department of Roads, Gosper County Attorney's Office, and CHI Health Air Care. Authorities say a 22-year-old driver died after his car collided with a pickup truck in east-central Nebraska. It occurred shortly after 7 a.m. Monday, about five miles northeast of Archer. Authorities say Brody Bubba Starkey was driving his car west on Nebraska Highway 92 when it collided in heavy fog with an eastbound pickup driven by Mary Dugan of Greeley. Dugan was hospitalized. Starkey was pronounced dead at the scene. Sharon Dalrymple with Families Care Health Systems was at a special event regarding children's mental health last Friday in Gothenburg. Dalrymple says that when tragedies occur and leaders say it is because of mental illness, it creates a bad situation for those who are mentally ill. The thing about it is when tragedy happens, then mental health becomes a stigma because 99.99% of our, our people with mental health challenges are not dangerous. They're not violent. So it, it, that's the problem when you start talking about mental health is because if it's a national issue, then it's, it's a bad thing, whereas we need to reduce that piece. And it's also a point of parents don't even know where to turn. You know, um, we have kids as young as the age of three that are showing signs of it, but parents don't know what door to even walk into. And they walk into a door and the door is shut because they don't qualify or they don't have the right insurance or they have no insurance or... For information about Families Care, go to their website at familiescare.org. Good ag and news coverage at your fingertips. Click podcasts and videos right under Listen Live at krvn.com. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. 
Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Alex Wojcicki, joined on the phone today by Southeast Community College Ag Instructor Mark Goes. Thank you for joining us. Certainly glad to be here. With the late spring season, a lot of the hype has been focused on delayed planting, but the late spring season has also affected pasture grasses and, and maybe pushed back that growth a little bit. What effect do delayed spring conditions have on cool season forage growth? Well, the biggest issue is sometimes I almost feel like it's a little bit of a misnomer in that uh, we think of cool season grasses as those that want to grow when it's cold out. And quite frankly, I wish we would refer to them as short day length grasses because it's the short day length that they like to grow in that short day length is what contributes to the cooler weather. And so we just inherently refer to them as cool season grasses. And it's a short day length that we have that's going to move on in here until June when we hit the day when we're going to start to shorten in our day lengths. So we're we're approaching longer and longer day lengths as we move on here. And those cool season grasses, they like the shorter day lengths to operate in. Now, when we have those shorter day lengths, we really do want to have some warm weather during the day. And they grow so incredibly fast during that warm weather that they like to have some cool nights so that they can kind of rest and slow down a little bit. Well, when we say cooler weather, that's not due to a weather front or a, or a snowstorm that's coming through that makes the cool weather. And so when we had those those adverse conditions earlier this spring, it brought you know, a tremendously cold season due to the weather front to our cool season short day length growing time period. And so those grasses were cheated out of days, growing days, what they what they really needed to be functioning and growing and, and building some forage material for their own behalf. And they were cheated out of that because of the terrible cold weather that we had. Now, as that cold weather finally broke and we're moving into some nicer spring weather here the last couple weeks, we seriously did shorten the growing season for those cool season plants. And they're they're destined to hit dormancy as we move into the long day length that will will approach us here in mid-June and on into July and August. Those plants will go completely dormant. And so for the producer standpoint, we, we lost a stage of production. And if you were in the farming world, we're dealing with annual plants and, and your crops, you'd certainly notice that. But uh, oftentimes we take the grass for granted. When you walk out and look down into your pastures, if you see bare ground, you have to realize that that bare ground is not going to catch any sun energy. And it's not going to convert it into any forage or any type of uh, material for those animals to graze or to uh, keep sustaining the grasses. And so... When you have those grasses out there growing and they've been set back on their growth phases, you know, you're just kind of lost out on a portion of the season and and you're wise not to push it too much. All right. And do you think we'll see an impact then on warm season forage growth as we continue into this year? Well, I really think that's going to be dependent upon the moisture as always. You know, if we enter into drought season, that's going to hurt us like always. But if we have appreciable moisture and stay on the average with that end of things. Our spring delay will likely waken up and, and move on into the summer seasons and the warm seasons. So it may not be set back as bad as the cool seasons were this spring. The problem is due to the shortage of coral cool season fodder for our cows or for our grazing animals, we may be propelled into overgrazing on our warm season. And so if we do have a shortage on the warm season, it's probably going to be because of abuse brought on by the shortage of the cool season. Now, there are cattle producers who like to get their cows and calves on grass as early as possible, but what are some of the negative impacts that happen when that grass is simply not ready? You have to consider yourself as a grass plant and maybe maybe compare yourself as a grass plant to a savings account. And that grass plant last year placed a bunch of uh, savings into their storage reserves. And this spring, before they have a chance to grow any photoreceptors, any leaves, they have to find some energy somewhere to start the growth phase. And that somewhere happens to be those stored reserves. We like to sometimes refer to them as the root reserves. And that plant 
expands and invests in itself by withdrawing from the savings account to grow some photoreceptors so that it can draw energy to build the photoreceptors and also to replace what it used in the initial investment. And so if we allow the plant to expand its savings account and then we take away the produce, then the plant perforce has to take from the savings account again. And just as your savings account would be if you continually withdraw, withdraw, withdraw without placing anything back in, well, you'll head to bankruptcy somewhere along the line. And so with these plants, we, you know, we may be willing to get out early on them, but if we camp out on them and continue to nip and nip and bite and bite, the plant is just going to go away and undesirable plants will replace them. And so we have to make sure that if we do defoliate that plant, that we provide the most important thing for any of those perennial forages, and that would be rest. So to avoid damaging those plants, what tips do you have for managers to determine if their pastures are ready to graze? Once again, that's a tough one, and as you drive down the road and look out, and it's greening up, that's not enough. And you really need to get out into the forage, and you need to look down. And if you want to get specific and detailed about it, the best advice on the cool season grasses is to look for a three-leaf stage. The grass will have uh, three fully formed leaves with a full collar around the stem, and those three leaves will then tell you that the plant has grown enough that it can catch enough energy to sustain back into its root reserves, and you're allowed then to to take some of that forage off, remembering that you need to provide some rest for it after that. As you get into the warm season grasses, we really like to refer more to a four-leaf stage before we turn the animals out on it. Don't be caught up with the height of the forage because uh, we know that the smallest tree in the darkest timber has to reach tall to get sunlight. And just because it reaches tall doesn't mean that it's got a lot of branches. And so those grasses that are out there in the pastures, we really want to take a look at the biomass that we have rather than just the height of the forage. And once again, if you look down and see bare ground, bare ground isn't very productive for us. So we want to make sure that we have some forage catching the sun energy and turning it into our cycle. Well, thank you for your insight. And once again, that was Mark Goes, Southeast Community College Agriculture Instructor, visiting with us about pasture growth. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Let's get a review of the livestock futures trade next with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, a little bit quieter day over in the cattle uh, than yesterday. We do finish mostly higher. The only one that uh, officially closed lower was the uh, nearby June, but only by two cents. And it appeared that uh, we're uh, kind of on a holding pattern and a lot of uh, positioning for the upcoming uh, cattle on feed report. So it was pretty much a back and forth uh, all day long and uh, cutouts were higher at noon so that uh, helped uh, relieve uh, some of the selling during the mid-session but uh, pretty quiet day a little bit more uh, active over in the hogs where we finished with some triple digit losses uh, came under a little bit of pressure uh, cash seemed to be steady weak and the uh, cutouts seemed to be in an almost like a holding pattern which is uh, bringing on some concerns since we've got some pretty good premium uh, still in all the hog contracts to the uh, index. So uh, I think there was a lot of profit-taking uh, coming in and uh, uh, some uh, selling just to bring that uh, premium out of the market. But all in all, uh, more or less a, a kind of quiet day uh, in the cattle and uh, an active day, more active day in the uh, in the hog futures. Thanks, Joe. You can reach Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities, 800-328-0134.
Total cattle slaughter through the first two days this week, estimated at 239,000, 3,000 more than last week, 4,000 more than a year ago. Hog slaughter for the first two days, 915,000, 5,000 less than a week ago, 35,000 more than a year ago. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. A look at the Kansas net farm income from 2017. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. The Kansas Farm Management Association at K-State just released its Kansas Net Farm Income Report for 2017. It covers the economic returns to farming and ranching on the part of over 2,000 KFMA members. And in that may be a surprise to some. The average net farm income in the state actually rose from 2016. Kevin Herbell is the executive director of the association. He reflects on the statewide income number in the report. A year that, uh, in a lot of ways, I think came out uh, with net income numbers that are more positive, creating a little bit of uh, maybe some cautious, optimistic feeling in, in some ways with some of the numbers, uh, certainly relative to, uh, to livestock incomes around the state, certainly impact of some positive yields. Uh, in fact, some areas of the state that had, uh, had record yields for, uh, for some of the producers, and certainly the, uh, the positive impact of that. Along with that, though, still facing a time where, uh, where we've got uh, generally low commodity prices. But even with that said, we had uh, a lot of opportunity within those prices uh, during the year. And as we look at some of the higher net income farms compared to the lower net income farms, some very uh, definite differences in what they did receive for those commodity prices during the year. Herbell stresses that the averages don't tell the full story. Our average net farm income for 2017 does reflect uh, just under 63,000. It's 62,944 for the state level numbers, uh, and that is up from our updated 2016 number, which is uh, 46,717. Now, putting that kind of in perspective of what all's there, 31% of those farms at the state level had a negative net farm income in 2017. Uh, the top quartile of those farms had a 256,000 average net farm income. Uh, the bottom quartile was a little over a $76,000 loss. According to Herbel, it's the variability in income from farm to farm that's immense, and that the economic challenges in production agriculture in Kansas remain formable. The reality is the actual numbers on those individual farms have a lot of variability and some farms are in a strong financial position. Some farms are in a financial position of much concern and it's important for each producer to know and understand where they are at and uh, be making decisions based on that environment and not just the numbers that we present as the averages. And that farmers and ranchers need to be carefully watching several indicators starting with the operations working capital. I think for each producer to Focus on working capital. Uh, know and understand your working capital. What that is is the difference between your, your current assets, which that's your cash and, and inventories that are going to be readily turned to cash in the next year, and the difference between those and your current liabilities, the things that you owe to others uh, in the next year. Difference between those working capital, that has been in general eroding across farms around the state. Uh, one of the ratios we look at is uh, looking at working capital as compared to operating expenses plus interest. Back five years or so ago, that number was in the upper 90%. And uh, this last year, it's around 64% of the working capital relative to the operating expenses and interest. And I think a need for each farm to understand where that's at, take steps to um, 
solidify or improve your working capital when you can. Those comments coming from Kevin Herbo with the Kansas Farm Management Association at K-State. The executive summary of the KFMA's 2017 Kansas Net Farm Income Report is available online. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network, and we're joined by Tom Dosdall from Daniels Trading and publisher of the grain newsletter, Technical Ag Knowledge. I'm going to start with corn. Um, we're talking about levels here in, oh, uh, on, I guess near the top uh, since last summer. Uh, can you explain a little bit here, Tom, as uh, far as the magic number on that December 18 contract? Yes, Dewey. Good afternoon. The the highs on this December 18 contract came around up near that 429 price level. We saw the market climb as high as 425 today before giving back some of those gains as the session went on. And so this could be a challenging line for us going forward. We, we also do have a, a nice bullish channel developed on the charts that projects resistance right in that same area. Does that look better than November soybean contract? Well, the soybeans look like they may have a little more room to the upside, uh, possibly up to 1050. That's where we ran into resistance at least 15 times the last two and a half months in that 1050 neighborhood. We got the 1043 and three quarters before also backing up into the close today, suggesting this China trade agreement maybe is starting to get priced in a bit at this point. And is it hard to explain why wheat was uh, seeing some double-digit gains today? Yeah, I tell you what, it was hard for me to explain that one to some folks. I look around here and I see some forecasters change their rainfall estimates for parts of the southern plains, especially the southwest. I know that the Russian Ag Ministry brought down some of their production estimates by around 5 to 10 million metric tons, so that could have had something to do with it. But, uh, again, we did see profit taking in the wheat also late in the session. Definitely. We closed 11 cents or so off those highs. That's probably a little bit detrimental to price tomorrow uh, or even tonight on the overnight. It could be, you know, but it's been a yo-yo price action here for the last three sessions here, so it could be anyone's guess. I do continue to look at the long-term trend line support on the July Kansas City wheat as a substantial, meaningful price level. For me, I've got that line coming in right now at around 520. What did you think about that cattle futures market today? So the thing about cattle that interests me a lot is we are touching right on the 50-day moving average for June live cattle. We have not been above that level for any any meaningful period of time since the price collapse at the end of February. That number is at 105.60. Watch that level closely. What do we look for as far as hogs? Are we going to continue to see this downtrend? Well, I see a lot of support on the hog chart down around the 72 price level on June. Uh, relative strength index is also uh, somewhat supportive here. So I'm looking for hogs to catch a little bit of support somewhere in the next dollar or two. Thanks, Tom. That again, Tom Dosdall from Daniels Trading. For more information, go to danielstrading.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.